Amen. Amen. Well, um, man, it's so good to have uh, all of you here and just getting to be with you and worship uh, with you here this morning. And I know there's probably a number of you that are maybe here for the first or second time or just checking things out. And it is an absolute pleasure to have you here with us as well. Um, So we start a new series uh, this morning, and it's just a two-week series. And I'm very excited about this series. I I realize there's some things that that I think really matter that I'm very passionate about uh, in this series. And and kind of having a little bit of fun with it too. Uh, and so the name of the series is Christ is not his last name, right? And so as you think about that, it's like, okay, you know, like what are you getting at with that, right? So um, there's kind of this common understanding uh, that uh, we have and we come upon it easily. And it's just like, well, you know, all these references in the New Testament about Jesus Christ. And it's so easy for us to kind of think about how we think of a first and last name, to think of like Jesus, you know, Christ, first name, last name in there. But in reality, uh, in the first century, uh, people wouldn't have thought of, of Christ as being his last name. That's, that's not what it would have meant to them. In fact, when they would have thought of like, what would Jesus's last name be? Uh, last names like, or surnames would have been just kind of an anchor point. And so they would have thought uh, like Jesus, uh, son of David. That would have been that anchor point. That, you know, going, his lineage went all the way back to King David, and that was a big thing. Or they might have said, uh, Jesus, son of Joseph, right? His earthly uh, father. Or uh, Jesus of Nazareth. That's how they would have thought of, like, maybe his last name close to what we think of. When they would have thought of Christ, right? They would have thought um, of almost like a title. So Christ literally means um, the anointed one in Greek, which is, uh, harkens back to the Jewish idea of a Messiah. So the Hebrew word uh, Messiah means the anointed one. And that has this rich history and this, this kind of story coming out of the entire Old Testament and what that would mean in uh, the Son of God, what that would mean. But there's also all of this beautiful meaning and understanding out of just what Jesus uh, means. And so they would have, back in the first century, they would have thought of Jesus Christ as holding like two somewhat distinct bodies of information and insight in all of this. And all we want to do with this series is just become more clear on this. Like kind of uh, look at what scripture has to say about this, because I think as we kind of understand this more, we would come to really understand something that would bring a fullness into our own walk and journey uh, with Christ. And, and so there's this, the Jesus part and the Christ part. In fact, you'll see in the New Testament, sometimes they will refer to Jesus, Jesus the Christ, because it holds kind of this like title thing in this. So in this series, let's, we're, we're just gonna, we're gonna go through this and, and have this fuller, more robust picture of Jesus. And so this morning, I wanna start with, uh, the Jesus part in this. And just, and look at this, that when we think of Jesus Christ, what does it mean that he was called Jesus? And you know, in the first century, Jesus would have been a super common name. Uh, lots, lots of parents would have named uh, their uh, sons Jesus. Uh, and in a weird way, that kind of points to some of the meaning out of this, that is, as it was a kind of common name, uh, part of what I want you to see with the name of Jesus is it's really, it's like a reference to his humanity. It is a reference to this idea that Jesus 
uh, points us to the incarnation of Christ, which is just a fancy way of saying God um, took on a physical form as a human being. God came in the form of Jesus and lived amongst us, right? There, there is a time period, and there's like 33 years uh, in history in which God was present in a physical fashion, like he was here with us. That, so when you think of Jesus, think of that. And, and uh, fully God, fully man, but present in a, in a really unique way. And to kind of get it, like why that's important, like why we would, like what makes that so meaningful? I want to illustrate it uh, in this way. Uh, so a couple of weeks ago, I went on a trip with my daughter, uh, just the two of us, down to uh, Meridian, uh, Mexico. She's the other adventurous one. So Coley and I, we were like climbing, you know, around, you know, Mayan ruins and out in the jungle and exploring and not knowing where we would end up at the end of the day. Uh, one time, not knowing how we would get back at the end of the day. That became a little adventure in all of it. But uh, she's the one that enjoys that. And uh, she knows uh, Spanish really well. Like, she, like, you know, she was, she just was flying with it. I, on the other hand, know Spanish Hardly, not at all, right? And so that was an adventure. And as we, uh, you know, we're making our way through the week, I, there was one morning we were out in the middle of a more remote area and there was this little uh, like cafe on the side of the road that we decided to have breakfast at. And I was feeling pretty bold and I thought, I'm gonna order my own breakfast. I'm gonna pull together the little bit of Spanish I know. And, and what I wanted to do was order uh, just like some eggs over easy with like, you know, some bacon or something, and maybe a little bit of toast or something like this. And so, you know, I'm, and you got to be careful in Spanish how you talk about huevos, right? And so I'm like, so like, uh, you know, I'm like, so huevos, and then, you know, uh, uh, you know, car carnitas, or, you know, I'm trying to talk, you know, I want eggs and meat, and I'm like going through all of this stuff. I have a friend who knows Spanish, and as I was talking to him about it, he, he said, you know, you might have slipped in the word juice, in there too, when I was talking, I go, oh, really? He goes, yeah. And so, I, and as I'm having this conversation with uh, the gal or the waitress that is helping with this, I'm trying to go through this and she's like, yeah, oh, and, like, and I'm like, she's getting it. She's understanding it. And I'm getting all excited. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. You know, and then she just starts just, I mean, just rambling. I'm just like, just saying all this stuff in Spanish. And I can just tell on the look on her face, she's understood what I want and she's excited about this and I'm excited about this because she knew as much English as I knew Spanish, right? And so we're so excited that we're able to communicate and she knows what I want. And I'm like, see, 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 yes, see, see, you know? And she's just going on. I look over at Coley and Coley's just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe my dad's doing this. And it was just a great moment to know I can still embarrass my adult daughter, right? And I still, as a dad, I still have that power, right? In that moment. Um, and so then I finished my order and I want you to see what I got. This is, this is what I got. Do you have a picture here? And that was my two fried eggs over easy with bacon. <laughs> this is somewhere. There was a glitch in, in our communication in there. Somewhere I was filling in some gaps or she was filling in some gaps. And, and what she thought and what I thought was not the same thing, you know? Now, I will say this. Uh, it, it was a very good breakfast, okay? But it was very different than what I was expecting in that uh, moment uh, in there. Um, and, and it's just because, you know, 
we do this as human beings, right? Uh, oftentimes, there will be a gap in our understanding of something. Um, and just our human brains want to fill in those gaps. We, we want to complete the story. We want to complete uh, what we think is our understanding of it. And in that moment, I just started, you know, there are lots, of, I didn't know what she was saying, but I just was just like, the look on her face tells me, you know, she must know uh, what I'm talking about. And I'm sure, you know, I, like I, I had enough Spanish to get my point across in this, you know, and somehow, you know, I got soup in a skillet that had uh, one of the things in there, there were like meatballs and an avocado seed, and there was uh, fruit and vegetables. It was a very strange dish. All, and I will say it did taste very good, but it was, it's not what I thought I was ordering in that moment. And what I realized is like there is I started assuming things. I'm filling in the gaps and I'm assuming things about her as well. I'm assuming she's understanding uh, what I'm wanting in all of this. But in the end, right, I was just filling these gaps. And we do this as human beings. And if you notice this, most often when we fill those gaps, we don't tend to fill them with positive things, right? Like, you know, I was filling in some gaps, but I was just ordering breakfast. And that, that was easy to keep uh, positive. But have you ever noticed how we fill in the gaps with interactions with other people? And, and rarely does it go to assuming the best of the situation. Like, uh, picture this. Um, imagine you're at work tomorrow and maybe uh, you've got a desk job, right? And you're sitting at your desk and your boss strolls by and then pauses for a second in front of your desk and just glances at your desk and goes, hmm, and then just walks on. What goes through your mind in that moment? Just like, oh, nothing. Or you're like, what, uh, what was that? Like, you're just like, what, what's, hmm, like, and you start, like, and you're going to fill in some gaps on that. Like, was that a, hmm, like, I was supposed to be in another meeting in there? Or like, hmm, like, you, you know, like, I, I didn't do something right. Like, you're thinking about telling me that, you're like, and you know, like, we start filling in the gaps on stuff like that. Or maybe uh, you and your spouse, you're getting ready to, you know, go out to a nice dinner or something like that, right? And uh, you walk out of the bedroom and you've just uh, gotten uh, dressed and your spouse looks at you and goes, so that's what you've chosen to wear? Yeah, I mean, all they've said is, I'm acknowledging that's what you've chosen to wear. Yeah, yeah, right, uh-huh, yeah, we're like, yeah, that's what I mean, I, that's right. What, you know, and just, and your brain starts, you know, filling, you know, with all the things of what that could mean. Do you think this is a stupid outfit? Do you, you know, do, like what's going, you know, it's like, is there some, something on it? You just, right? Because our brain does that. Or have you ever had this happen? Like uh, you're texting someone and there's something that like, like an important text and, and you've thought through it and you've crafted your text just right and you send it, right? And then after you send it, you're just like, okay, I wonder how they're going to take this. And then immediately you see like the little, um, I don't know what they're called, like the little, the, the, the rolling bubbles or whatever on there. You can, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Like when you send a text and you can see that the person on the other end is like they're typing something. It hasn't come through, but it's, you know, your phone's doing that. And you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to watch this. Yeah. And you watch the little bubbles go around and then all of a sudden they just stop. Yeah, so you've had this happen, right? And you're just like, okay, I know you. I, you know, don't tell me you didn't see the text yet. I know, because you were starting to type something on there. Why did you stop, right? And your mind starts going, and does it go to good places? Like, do you normally go, oh, well, they just read it a second time, and they must have went, oh, it makes perfect sense. No, you're like, 
So why didn't, do, do you not like what I said? Are you frustrated? Are you, like, was it so complicated that you've got to think about it longer on like, right? We, we, what we tend to do is we infuse those gaps with things out of us that tend to be more around our concerns, our worries, our issues, don't we? Like we, we go to that place because we've got those concerns and it ends up uh, playing out. Um, that's how we fill those gaps so often. Now, I bring all of this up because we can do the same thing with God. There are all these moments where maybe we go through a struggle with God, where there, you know, there's something going on and we're trying to figure out like, okay, what does God want me to do? What does God think about this? What does God think about me in this? And oftentimes we start taking bits and pieces of the Bible and we mix it in with our own concerns and issues. And, and we, you know, we have this, all of these different things, but there's all these different gaps and we start filling the gaps with all these bits and pieces and with these concerns and stuff. And so often what we end up doing is we paint a picture of God that is actually kind of in our own likeness out of our own concerns, our own opinions, and our own worries. Like the, the same thing we do in those moments where, we, where all of a sudden we start, without even thinking about it, start filling in those gaps when we see the little rolling dots disappear. Like we do that in our spiritual journey as well. What's, what's God think about this? What's going on in this? What, does God want something from me? Or did I miss something? It's like, and, and, and we, we feel the tension of this. It begins building up in all of this. It's one thing to fill in the gaps, you know, when you're trying to order breakfast in Mexico, right? But it's an entirely different thing when we start filling in the gaps in our own relationship with God. Because so often it takes us to a place where good things don't usually happen out of that. We begin filling in those gaps and, and it can actually cause distance in our relationship with God. It can actually make us feel a little more protective from God, not trust him as easily. It can overwhelm us with shame or worry about something with God that can become an issue or a problem, right? And I don't want, I don't want us to go through that. And I think as we begin to understand, right, that we tend to fill in the gaps in these ways, this is where we begin to understand what a beautiful gift Jesus is from God. There's something about understanding the fullness of Jesus that just becomes this beautiful thing that would help us. And so here this morning, I want us to unpack this idea of who Jesus is because it will help us so much. If you can grasp Jesus, there's something it will do in those moments where you feel that tension and you're filling in uh, the gaps. So um, to get at that, I want to look at a couple of passages here. Uh, one is this simple verse that, that tells us something about Jesus. And then the second one is this actual conversation that Jesus is having with uh, one of his followers here. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to um, see this uh, description about the person of Jesus. And it comes out of Paul. Paul writes the book of Colossians. And he's wanting us to understand the second person of the Trinity here, right? When you think of uh, God the Son, 
but he's going to speak to something that pertains specifically uh, to who Jesus is uh, here on this. So look with me, Colossians chapter 1. Look at verse 15. He's in this just simple verse, he says this. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, what I want you to notice here is he says the Son is the image of the invisible God. The image, right? As we understand God, right? God the Father, God is spirit. He is invisible. But he says Jesus is the image. And the Greek word used for image here is the Greek word um, icon. And anyone know what English word we get from the Greek word icon? Icon. Oh, dear, see, you're the brightest service. There, but just don't tell the other service that, okay? All right, yeah. Um, yeah, we get our English word icon uh, from that. And an icon is, uh, it is an image, whether it's painted or carved, it is an image that represents, stands for something else. Um, in the simplest way, it is a graven image. An icon is a kind of graven image uh, that would point to something uh, in here. And so what, what Paul is explaining in this moment is he says, um, I want you to understand that Jesus is this kind of icon. He is this kind of graven image of who God is in all of this. And the, the reason people were so drawn to icons is because you could actually see them. They, you, you could see them, you could touch them, you could experience them uh, in the physical realm in all of this. But the thing I find most interesting is that Paul chooses to use this word in this passage um, because uh, Paul came out of this deep, rich Jewish tradition. And one of the huge, like, do-nots, one of the no-nos out of the Jewish tradition was to have an icon of any kind, right? To have a graven image, that, that wasn't just wrong. There wasn't just a rule against it. Uh, it is the second commandment of the Ten Commandments that says, uh, thou shalt have no graven images, right? And there was reason for this, right? God is saying, um, I don't want you to have a, a, an image or an icon, especially of him, because there's, there is no icon that you could come up with, that you could paint, that you could carve, that you could craft, that, that would capture who God really is, right? There's, there's nothing that you could do that would actually get to that place that would represent God in a good or healthy way. Um, you couldn't do it in a way that would, would capture enough of God, right? You couldn't have uh, a, the most beautiful sunset or a magnificent mountain range. Not even, not even trying to craft a, an image around a, you know, a, a, a galaxy filled with stars, right? There's nothing that Picasso could paint, you know, or could be carved that would be enough. But more than that, more than that, God understands that when we go to make our own like graven images, we tend to fill in the gaps. And when we fill in the gaps, it, we can't help but put our own issues, our own fears, our own worries in it. I think part of the reason God says, I do not want you to make any graven images is because in the end, you would make an icon of me that would actually be created in your image. Like, like we, would, 
we would make a God that was after our own image in some way. And we would make that God in an image out of our own fears and our own concerns and our own worries, right? Out, Out of the smallness of who we are. And he's like, don't do that. Because if you do that, It will distract you. It will mislead you from the relationship that I want to have from you. It'll take you away from really knowing who I am. You can't make a graven image without putting your image into it. And so God says, no graven images, none, right? Second commandment, that's a big deal, right? So now we get to the New Testament and here's Paul And Paul starts describing this and he uses this very word. But it's kind of like he's saying, you need to understand how special Jesus is. It's like God's saying, yeah, no graven images until, until, right? God says, actually, I'm going to break my own commandment because I'm going to make a graven image. And when I make it, right, what will I put into it? I'll put myself into it. And that's exactly what you need. And all of a sudden, it's like God comes along and says, I can fashion, I can, I can impress a graven image into something, into this world that will actually capture the goodness and the beauty and the vastness and the heart and the, uh, right, and the mind of who I really am. And so God comes along and he says, I'm going to do this. And he does. And what does he do? He sends us Jesus. Jesus is the perfect, the perfect image, the perfect icon of the invisible God. And friends, that makes him a gift. Because he's human, because he's iconic, because we can see him, because we can, we can read stories about how he actually lived and what he did, we, we can understand something about God. That means we don't have to fill in those gaps. Jesus is a gift because he is a picture of the invisible God that we can now finally see. And we struggle with this, right? We struggle with this because there are moments where we go through our spiritual lives and we worry, like, will God be vindictive? How do I know what God will do? And we look at this in our struggles, right? We can look back to Scripture, and Scripture doesn't always bring us that clarity that we would want, right? You look back at Scripture, and there's moments, man, it's just like, wow, I see a God back there that just seemed so harsh. Uh, But then I also see a God like, you know, he's so loving, and he delivers the Israelites out of slavery cares for this individual. But over here, man, there's someone who drops dead because I think God got mad at him and just like, and you don't know what to expect. What is God really like? What is God going to be like with me? And here's the beauty of it. What he's saying is you don't have to like try and sort through this whole thing and scripture and and come up with this complex sense of, of doctrine or theology to figure like because there's something that you can actually see. And even though you may have great gaps in all of those other places in your experiences or what you've studied in Scripture, when you look at Jesus, you're getting the picture of what you need. But we're going to struggle with this temptation to keep trying to like fill in those gaps. And my challenge here this morning is really simple, right? This is kind of a, a one-point sermon uh, here this morning. And my challenge is this, right? Trust what you see in Jesus for how you see God. 
When it comes to trying to understand who God is, who God is in your life, how to navigate your relationship with God, I want to challenge you. Trust what you see in Jesus for how you see God. And because sometimes that can be a struggle. Um, you see it played out in this moment with one of Jesus' disciples. Uh, his name is Philip. And there's this moment later in Jesus' ministry. In fact, we're going to turn to a John chapter 14. If you want to turn to John chapter 14, uh, uh, turn there uh, real quick. Um, Philip is hearing Jesus uh, talk through what's going to happen and what Jesus, and Jesus is explaining. I'm, I'm going to leave now, right? Me in my physical form, my time is coming to an end and, and I'm going to leave you, he says, like with the Holy Spirit. And they're like, okay, great. We don't know who the Holy Spirit is, right? We've been dealing with you. And uh, I'm going to leave you with God the Father. He has this discussion with Philip that ends up being you know, God the Father and Jesus. And he's like, you know, you know God the Father's got you. I'm, in fact, I'm going to lead you to him. I'm going to like, and you can see Philip, and Philip's just like, ah, I'm struggling with this a little bit in all of this. In fact, uh, look with me in verse uh, seven. Jesus, and Jesus starts walking this out, this whole idea of it's going to be okay because when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He says this, if you really know me, this is verse seven, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. He says this, right? And Philip is hesitant in this moment, right? Philip's just like, ah. Oh. And for good reason, right? For all of these years, what, what Philip has known is Jesus. For all of these years, he's watched, right? He has watched Jesus come alongside people that have made a mess of their life. And he's watched how Jesus handled that moment. He has watched Jesus uh, criticized and attacked, and he's watched how Jesus handled that. He's watched how Jesus has treated him. Like he knows Jesus. He's been with Jesus for these years. And when Jesus says, okay, I'm going to go now and, and be at peace. You know, you'll be with God the Father. The Holy Spirit will be with you. It's like, oh, okay, I know you. But like when I go back, and right, Philip would have memorized great portions of the Old Testament. He knew the scriptures and he's just like, okay, I'm looking back at those scriptures and it's like, you know, kind of up in the air with what you get. I like, I've got big gaps. I don't have it all figured out. And you know what? Anyone who tells you that they can look back, you know, at the Old Testament and even the New Testament and work all of that out and have no gaps, right? They're kidding themselves, right? They're kidding. Like there's, you, you, we end up filling in the gaps and I can just see Philip in that moment. He's just going, okay, I know you, Jesus, but will God, the father be there for me the way you've been there for me? In that moment where I struggled and you met with, you met me with a kind of mercy that made we, made me want to just follow you to the end. I don't know for sure if I'll get that same kind of mercy from God the Father. Ever been in that place? Ever been in a moment where, you know, you've got Bible verses and they're about mercy and they're about forgiveness or about how much God loves you. But have you ever found yourself in a moment where you said, but I wonder if I'd be the exception. And you remember like, the place that took you probably wasn't a great place, was it? 
That's, that's just what Philip's going through in this moment. I can just see him going, I don't want you to leave, Jesus, because you're the one I know. You're the one that I can see and touch. And I remember when you put my, your arm around me, and I need that. And I, I don't know if God the Father is going to do that. And so I love how Jesus responds. Look, look back at this. Look back at this. Um, actually, I, I don't. I left out a story that I want to tell you on this. <laughs> um, Here's how deep this goes. Um, we struggle with this in the evangelical world in a deep way. And I was just reminded of this this week. You know, we had one of our pastors uh, was in a conversation with another uh, pastor. He was a youth pastor and a great guy, great teacher. Loved the guy, but uh, at another church, actually in another uh, state, actually with a youth ministry that he was involved in. And they got into this discussion very similar to this about God the Father and Jesus. And this other pastor started talking about how he views this relationship between God the Father and Jesus and how it pertains to our relationship. And unfortunately, it's like an all-too kind of, of, of understanding that people, that, that Christians in our world have. And here's what he, he walked out for one of the pastors on our staff. He said, you know, God the Father, like, he is holy. And because he's holy, right? And I go, yeah, he's holy, right? But because he's holy, like in his holiness, he can't stand sin, right? And because of that, because of our sin nature, God the Father, he can't look at you and me. He can't stand to look at us, right? Because in his holy and his purity, like he could, he can't look at you and me filled with flaws and filled with our struggles with sin. And even when we overcome sin and temptation, we're, we're still these creatures that struggle with all of this. Like he can't stand to look at you and me. But it's Jesus who, right? Jesus can look at us because Jesus has this grace for us. And so it's like Jesus stands between us and God and, and God the Father, he can't stand to look at us but in his love for us, right, he looks at Jesus instead of us and this whole thing. And, and you know, and I've made similar arguments to that decades ago. And I understand all the verses for why you could go to that place. But in the end, I don't buy it anymore. I just, I don't believe it anymore. It's not, it's not, the more I tried to follow that, the more it took me to a place of no matter how right I was, no matter how much control I had over my sin, I didn't like the person I was becoming. Right? It, it, it landed me in this theological place of seeking to be right and being right positionally somehow. And it, it made me fill in the gaps of who God was. And it didn't pass the smell test of what Jesus described and what Paul described about how we're to see God. And the staff person came back and his eyes are like this wide open. He's just like, I like this, this like, because we get to that place. Would God the Father look at me and go, okay, I love you, but understand, I can't stand to look at you because I'm holy and you're not. Think about what that does. Think about a, think about a relationship with your parent or your loved one, a sibling, 
in which that sibling, you know, or that loved one or your spouse or your parent or your child look at you and say, okay, I love you. And I am so willing to do good things for you and care for you. But you need to know that because of who you are or things you've done, I can't look at you, right? There's, there's a part of you that I hate, but I'll still do good things for you. That would so, that's, you know, we would look at that and go, that is a toxic, unhealthy relationship. That, that will do bad things. That will undermine the fibers of love and goodness and connect. That's, that, no matter how sincere it is, that will do damage. And friends, when we, when we make God in our image, when we fill in the gaps, no matter how sincere, that's where we take it. When we make God in our image, we create something toxic and unhealthy. And Philip's struggling with this in this moment, right? That's, it's been in that place. So now, Let's look at how Jesus uh, responds in this. Look at what he says here. Look at, look at verse 9. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even, and picture Philip, yeah, yeah, yes, I know. Of course he knows him. Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Because you've been, you're looking at me right now. You're seeing the Father, right? I want you to get this, right? And not at a theological, I mean, I want you to get it at a theological level. I want you to get it at an intellectual level. But the place, uh, my heart wants you to get this. The place that I know I have to keep going back in and, and live in is I need to hold this in my heart and in my soul and in my mind instead of trying to fill in the gaps. In those moments that I struggle, that I wonder, don't try to fill in the gaps. That is the moment to look to Jesus. That's my challenge. When I say, when it comes to like, trust what you see in Jesus for how you will see God, it's this. In those moments that you're, you're struggling, those moments that you read a passage and you're like, okay, what does this mean? This is, and it will, it'll produce a little fear in you. Like, you'll, you'll falter in a moment. You'll hear somebody say something else. Like you'll be in a conversation with someone and they've got a belief and they'd say, man, you know, God hates us, right? Because of our sin, he might save us, he might love us. But the, and you feel that in that moment, that is not a moment to fill in the gaps on your own out of, out of the God that you would make out of your fears. That is a moment to look to Jesus and go, whatever I see in Jesus, whatever I may or may not understand out of the Old Testament or the New Testament, what, I, what you and I have, right? This is the gift of Jesus, right? He's not theoretical. He's not invisible. He came and he lived on this earth. He interacted with real people in history. He had encounters with people that were struggling with sin. He had encounters with people that were mad at him, that hated him, that wanted to kill him. He had encounters with people that were poor and rich and people that wanted to hide from him and people that were broken and people that were doing what We get to see exactly what he did, we get to see his heart, his actions. You have, I have, four iconic gospels filled with a human being that was all God and all man. I don't have to guess. I don't have to guess in those moments. And what Jesus is saying is, 
go there. Look at me. Look me in the eye when you have those questions about who is God. Because when Jesus becomes the vision and the icon that we look to to fill in the gaps, we will, we will create an understanding about God that will shape our spiritual journeys, that will become life-changing and transformational. And friends, like there are moments, and I, and I get this, I, I get it right? There will be, I get the criticisms at moments, like Glenn, like you, you talk too much about love, and you talk too much about this unconditional love, and if people hear that, they're going to take advantage of it. They're going to think, well, if it's unconditional, I don't have to worry about any conditions, and I can just kind of do whatever I want. I, I reject the whole premise of that argument, because I've lived it. I've been there. I reject it because I don't know anyone I mean this. I don't know anyone who's feeling the richness of unconditional love from God and then says, out of the richness of that love, hey, I'm not just going to go take advantage of that. I'm going to just, when you, the more you understand that kind of love, the, the, you don't take grace as a license for sin. I just, I hear that argument. I just don't know anyone who lives that out with consistency. Because if you come to understand that God, your heart's, you just, he owns you. He owns you. You want to be owned by that God. Where do, you have a, where do you have a relationship in this world where someone loves you that deeply and you feel it and you just take it for granted and you take advantage of it? I bet you don't. I bet you don't. See, I think we are transformed by that love. And we just need to stop worrying about the other thing and get a clear picture of who God is because we're letting Jesus be that clear picture. That's what Jesus is saying in that moment. Philip, all of that other stuff you have, be at peace. Look at me. Look at me. Because if you look at me, you know exactly what the Father is like. And that's my friend. That's my challenge, friends. That's my challenge. And I, and I, and I want you to play this out. Don't let this just stay theory in this. Here's, here's my challenge. This next week, even if you have to pretend, right? Even if you're sitting here and you're just like, Glenn, I like the verse. And I know, like, there's, there's verses you can take all over the place. But spend this next week and live as if what Jesus says here is actually 100% true. And that the Jesus that you can read about, read the stories of how you see him interact, as if that really is what God the Father is like and exactly how he will interact, who God the Father is with you. Let that be your guide. And if you want to start with the question, right? Can God, would, would God look at me and all, right, even where I fail, even where I struggle, would God look at me? I don't know. Don't fill in the gaps. Look at Jesus. Because, you know, I look at Jesus and I wonder about God the Father's compassion and unconditional love, right? Can he look at somebody in the face with love and compassion? I don't know. I I think about Matthew, who was a tax collector. He betrayed his own people. He was a Jew that started working for the Romans to take financial advantage of the Jews, right? And Jesus looks at Matthew one day. 
He's sitting in his little tax booth there and Jesus comes up and looks him in the face and says, you, Matthew, I want you to follow me. You come follow me. And Matthew does. And he's like, in fact, I want to hang out at your house. I want you to invite a bunch of your tax collecting buddies. Let's all just hang. I want to be not only just look you in the face, Let's party together. Let's get together. That's literally what Jesus does. I think about a time when Jesus goes into a little bitty city, right? A little bitty village. And there is a guy who's very similar to Matthew, right? This is the guy who has used his influence with the Romans to cheat and manipulate everyone in this. His name is Zacchaeus and he's up in a tree and Jesus is going through the city, right? And Jesus searches him out and he finds Zacchaeus in the tree and he looks him in the face like Jesus doesn't have any, he's not like, okay, you know, like, you know, no, right? He looks him in the face and loves him. One time Jesus, right, he's in this crowd of people and they're, you know, beckoning for his attention, all of these things. And there is a woman in this, in this uh, crowd. We don't even know her name. We just know her as the woman who is bleeding. She is the unnoticeable person, right? She is the outcast. She's like on the ground. And all she does is barely touch the edge of his cloak, right? No one notices. But in that moment, it's like Jesus says, whoa, stop everything, right? Someone touched my cloak, right? And the disciples are like, there's a million people. He goes, no. And the unnoticeable person like Jesus turns and he notices her. She matters in that moment, see? There's a religious leader who's probably so embarrassed to even be seen with Jesus that he comes in the middle of the night, right? He's, got, he's curious. He's got these spiritual questions, right? And Jesus doesn't go, well, you know, like if you're, you know, and when you get over your embarrassment of being around me, then I'll have a conversation. And like, no, just like, okay, if the only place you can talk with me is at night, I'll talk with you at night. And, right, that's, that's Nicodemus, right? And like, he belonged to this group that were just constantly attacking Jesus. Jesus sees a man dying on a cross while Jesus happens to be dying on a cross next to him, right? There's ever a moment you just say, hey, you know, you get to just have a little me time right now. You get to just not worry about other people. It's when you're hanging on a cross and you're like, what I'm going through right now, I think I get to just think about me. But he doesn't, right? There's a thief on a cross that is getting, right, by what the law stated, he's getting exactly what he deserves. And, and this guy's theology is so messed up. Like, you know, Jesus, can you remember me? Or like, it just, and like Jesus doesn't try to correct his theology, doesn't just loves on him and says, you'll be with me in eternity. And so if you ask me, can God the Father look you and me in the face? And I'll tell you, I don't need to find a verse in the Bible that says precisely that. God is willing to look even sinners in the face. You know why I don't need a verse to say that? Because I looked at Jesus, and he looked people in the face all of the time, and he looked, at people, he looked people in the face with care and concern and heart, see? And I just, I want all of us to keep letting the gift of Jesus be the thing that defines how we will understand who God is and let that shape our spiritual journeys in this. You know, there's like an ultimate expression of Jesus uh, in this. Think about when he is on the cross and it is, he is near dying. 
And there is this moment where he speaks of the very people that have condemned him to death, who have hung him on that cross, and he says these words. Father, forgive them. Why? For they, that's right, they know not what they do. My gosh, that man's compassion, right? He has that for you. He has that for your friends. The people that I struggle, you know, I get angry with, whatever, like, I keep coming back to a God that can look them in the face. I want my vision of who God is to inspire me towards greater grace and greater understanding. This is transformational, friends. So try it out this week. This week, wake up tomorrow and say, okay, I'm going to live on each of those moments where I feel tension, where I feel less than, where shame is crowding in, where, I, where I'm, I worry about a decision. Will God be with me? I want you in those moments to just make the assumption that God in heaven looks just like Jesus, the Jesus you have seen and read about in scriptures. And if at the end of the week, it doesn't, if it doesn't move you, if it doesn't make you fall in love with him more, if you don't find your life moving in a better spiritual direction, don't ever come back to this church. Write me off as a heretic, right? Just like, because I have nothing else for you. But, I, but here's the thing. I know this because it's worked in my life. And I've seen it work in so many lives. Trust it. Because I think the proof is in the pudding of what if, of how it will change your life. So try it out. If it works for a week, try it for two. Maybe make a lifetime out of it, right? If it keeps working, keep trying it. Let's stand. And I'm going to let you all go here. You all are very kind. Um, and that's the church we want to be, isn't it? That, like, that's the challenge before us. And if you're here this morning, I just want to say it is so, and I mean this, you are so welcome here. And, and um, I'm going to be right over here off to the side. And if you're new here or never had a chance to personally welcome you, come over there. I mean, I would love to just shake your hand and, and tell you, welcome around here. Let me pray and we can go. Father, we just thank you so much for this gift of Jesus. And help us, remind us of, of, of what those 33 years meant that you infused a very icon of who you are. You infused the perfect image that we can see and understand into this world, that we will use that gift and live off of that gift, that it will come to transform us, Father. And we pray in his name. Amen. See you next week.